0: Welcome to the Hot Crime Cold Coffee podcast with Pauline and Angie. Each week we bring you new episodes on Wednesdays and Fridays. Each episode includes our favorite coffee that we're drinking, a missing person spotlight, and whatever case we're currently working on. We also have bonus episodes Monday through Friday, Daily Cup of True Crime in 15 minutes or less, where we share trivia, true crime updates and headlines and fun facts so join us please be sure to follow us on social media for bonus material listener discretion is advised due to sensitive and sometimes violent content we started recording this episode a little after eight o'clock mountain time And as we were recording it, we got an update on the kidnapping of the family from Merced County. As you can hear in this podcast episode, the update shook us beyond belief and it was hard to continue the podcast, so we ended it early. We apologize in advance and our hearts and prayers are with the family at this time. Today is our ninth episode and part eight of the Vallow debel case. We'll start as usual with our featured coffee, missing persons, updates, and headlines, then get to the rest of the episode. The last episode ended with Lori's brother, Adam, and her husband, Charles. For this episode, um, we're going to explore his death, hopefully get to Lori's move to Idaho, and we're going to try and keep this episode under an hour. Before we start talking about all of this, though, what in the world were you doing you were making the weirdest noises oh when I had the zoom going and you couldn't see anything yes I'm like I couldn't see anything and all I hear is like all these weird like what the heck are you doing I was down at my chicken coop so I have two stupid chickens that wouldn't go in and one of them is white so I'm like I had to put my phone down and I forgot that I had um (laughs) started our Zoom meeting so I'm, and it's dark outside right and so I'm like flapping at them and yelling at them and trying to kick them off the roof of the run and <laughs> the bed and then I think as I walked away one of them got attacked by a great horn owl because it was making some strange noises so that added <laughs> to it too but those damn chickens I swear they're like they're not the smartest creatures I feel like they're the bane of your existence right now. Oh my God, they are. Well, something's been trying to eat them the last couple of nights, a bear. So I've like gone out there with like a horn and pepper spray and because I don't want to, you know, rubber bullet them or anything. And if it is bears, which I did see one, so it probably is. But those stupid chickens, they wouldn't go in. They're like idiots. They're so spooked and freaked out by the bears trying to get in, that they won't go in, they're staying outside and they're gonna end up eating. And they're dumb, super dumb. And it's white, one of them's like white. So you can see it, I can see it from my house and that's like hundred what fifty yards from the yeah, house. Yeah, I think so, zero stupid camouflage, chickens. zero camouflage. Yeah, right underneath like a huge spotlight, stupid chicken, like <laughs> dumb chicken. And then yesterday, you didn't. I didn't tell you this part. I'm sitting outside, and I hear. Durr, durr. I'm like, what the hell? And it's nine o'clock at night, and it doesn't sound like some predator animal. And so I go down there, and I've got the bear spray out, and I've got the dog next to me, and he's not freaked out. And I just hear. Durr, durr. I'm like, what the hell? Yes stupid baby chicken had gotten stuck under a bowl like (laughs) i'm like what (sighs) yes they have been driving me nuts this week and after after tonight i think i'm gonna be one chicken less because it won't go in the damn coop and it's not smart enough like my red chickens who are pretty darn smart to go underneath my porch it's just gonna stay out there till it dies so you should totally thing. trap one of the chicks under a bowl again and like mess with your kids and tell them that it's some huge bug. Like a new oh bug. My, I th- <laughs> okay, I'll tell you it freaked me out. It was loud. <laughs> Make and them go like, down oh by my, themselves to check it out. I thought it was <laughs> and I couldn't find it, right? Because I'm looking everywhere and it's dark. i see the bowl which i don't even know why the bowl's down there because my kids are one of your kids left it down there i know probably neva she probably left it down there just because she's too (laughs) unmotivated to bring it back up after she dumps the chicken bucket excuse me preteens are not lazy what are you trying to say (laughs) that's ridiculous unmotivated (laughs) unmotivated yes probably lazy but and it's like just it's empty it's not even heavy bring it back but no so I collected like five bowls yesterday from. oh now my now. gosh like, are you serious yeah all my big mixing bowls were all down there she's already walking reason. back up to the house like oh okay logic and reason got it okay well they're not here today and guess what I had for dinner something amazing I ate a whole piece of tiramisu to myself. <laughs> you didn't have to share? You didn't have any kid slobber on nope. it either? No kid oh, slobber, amazing. no dog slobber. Did not have to share. I could justify <laughs> eating cake for dinner. I like it. That's usually what I do when the kids are gone. I like it. You eat super healthy? Most of the time? Yeah, I cook from scratch every night. No and that when your health are but, out of town oh heck no so basically I mean, you you eat like when you know dad is in charge so whatever my husband's yeah. in charge it's like mac and cheese takeout ramen whatever you can find doesn't matter what it is just feed yourself <laughs> no i will specifically go get something that's high sugar high calories to eat like intentionally <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to eat it all before they come back so there's no evidence. There is no evidence and I ate a whole big piece of cake, tiramisu, like huge like it could probably have fed like 2 to 3 people, a nice helping of cake. That's impressive. That actually would make me throw up. I'm I'm impressed you can do that. Not me. I can i can put away cake (laughs) as long as there's nobody home to share (laughs) see i always tell people i'm not skinny but i'm not fat but you can definitely tell that i like cake (laughs) right (laughs) no you're super skinny you're you're super well you're thinner than I am. How's I don't, I don't that? know that I would say super, but oh <laughs> uh, relative. You, you definitely don't look like fat. Thanks. So <clears throat> um what did I want to say? Oh, so you were telling me about that coffee that you found at Albertson's yesterday. Yes. So tonight's coffee is Devil's Mountains, Dante's Revenge. Um, So like most things in life that I buy, I buy with my eyes. I buy things based off of the packaging (laughs) because if I like the picture, then I'll probably buy it. Um, So yeah, I got this Dante's Revenge dark roast. Um, So you know how like normally when you drink coffee, like you'll... um, you'll be like wired for a little bit. And then like around like lunchtime and stuff, you start to get like tired. This like carries you, just carries you like not all day, but like significantly longer like you. And it's not like, it's not like that antsy, like anxiety, kind of like shaky kind of a thing. It's more of like, you just have energy, you know, before you had kids kind of a thing. Um, and it's delicious. It's amazing. It's, um, stop saying um yes it's organic <laughs> <laughs> it's it is an organic coffee um there's no damn it i did it again uh there's <laughs> no bitterness now i'm really aware of it it's not bitter uh, it's just delicious and it's good and it's a very very solid cup of coffee really like it highly suggest that you try it also speaking of coffee uh, we have a feature on our blog and our website, which is buy us a cup of coffee. And we had somebody buy us a cup of coffee, Sherry Trulock. Thank you so much for your gift to us. Uh, we Woo! will definitely, we will definitely be getting more coffee with that. Cause you know, everybody needs more coffee in their life. Uh, super awesome. She left a really sweet note. Um, really glad that you enjoyed our podcast. Even more glad you Bought us a cup of coffee, um, and we will do our best to keep entertaining you. Yay! And Sherry, we're glad that you loved the turkey story and thought it was hilarious. I'm less glad about that because I had to live through it, but <laughs> I still, laugh. oh my God, we're going to have the giggles all night. Oh, goodness. No. And if you guys can't tell, our ADHD gets a little worse at night time. So we're going to try to get through this. Um, Before I forget, did you leave me coffee and that coffee in my mailbox so I can try it tomorrow because I'm doing overtime the rest of the week. Yes, I did. I drove my happy butt all the way up your mountain and I put it in your mailbox. You're welcome. You didn't even have to drive all the way to my house. So (sighs) that's pretty impressive. You just had to drive to the fire station. It's still a long drive because I'm lazy and it requires effort to drive. It sure does. Yes, I absolutely. I absolutely. You know what agree I should be doing? I could just drop it at the school and then have Neva bring it home to you. That's way closer. <gasps> yes. Why have I never? Neva will right be now. there until Monday. That's true. She'd forget it too. You'd never see it. Probably should drink it. She would, she'd eat the beans. <laughs> Yeah, poor Neva. (laughs) I know. Hopefully, she never listens to this. We really do love you. Throw this out there. We have two 12 year olds, and it is an interesting age for sure. They are weird. Um, weird. Before I forget, because we're running on to the next thing, Angie is going to be gone for part of the month. Um, what dates Angie? Nineteenth through twenty ninth She's going to their secret top secret secret super uber duper super secret, secret hunting spot super secret in Utah <laughs> <laughs> super duper secret. <laughs> it's like right? a like a four generation family hunting hunting place i I've never been there before. This will be my first time going. Um, Oh, that's cool. It's probably the last time that um, Ryan's dad will end up making the trip. Well, uh, getting pretty close. I think probably that he'll make the trip out there and um, definitely his brother will probably definitely be the last time his brother makes it out there. So we'll have, it'll be a bunch of family um, and just kind of, yeah, kind of like a, their goodbye to the place i think is kind of it that's Aww. the way that it's kind of been made you know presented the to film yeah. Um, yeah um you know i think i think ryan's dad could probably get out there another time or so but um i think his brother this will definitely be the last last trip that he'll make so um him and his son will be there and um we're gonna take the girls and it should be a very bittersweet kind of trip so um, oh, those are always the hardest time I I remember the last time I went with my mom to the family ranch that has been in our family well, has been in my mom's family since 1917 and yeah that that was definitely bittersweet so I I get you but I yep. will hold Down the fort, Angie, and I will try really, really hard not to and, and, and all the time. That is something, Or, um, 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 yes, you, um, more than I do, um, I I I and more than you. That's true. Um, All right, before we get to anything else, if you haven't heard, there's a family of four missing from Merced, California on Monday around 1130 in the morning. A family was kidnapped from a business. They still have not been found. Who kidnaps uh, a whole family? I don't know. It, there was a press conference this morning with the Merced. County Sheriff's Office. They haven't said why this family was abducted. There's been no ransom requested or anything like that. The victims are eight-month-old Aruhi Derry, the child's mother Jasleen Cower, who's 27, the baby's father Jasdeep Singh, 36, and the uncle of the baby Amandeep Singh, 39. So what they've concluded based on the surveillance video footage, which was released today, or at least a portion of it was, is that Jazz Deep went outside because he was alerted to something, went back in, came back out possibly the surveillance camera it looks like maybe there was an alert on his phone and this guy was out there with a the white um trash bag and a mask he follows the father of the baby into this business and the father's already in inside the business where there are no cameras and this guy just before he goes in he pulls a firearm out of his pocket he later takes them outside and when the family comes outside they are zip tied and then they leave they did find a person of interest his name is jesus solgado he tried to take his own life before police apprehended him He was not successful. However, he's currently hospitalized in critical condition. Law enforcement were alerted to him by his own family because he told his family that he had kidnapped um, the four missing people. So they alerted law. Yeah. So they alerted law enforcement. But if he's the only one who knows something, he's incapacitated, incapacitated in critical condition, and they don't even know if he's going to make it. They're not sure else. if someone else is involved or not. They're hoping that Solgato will wake up. Apparently in 2015, Solgado did do something similar. Oh. Yes, so weird. So, you guys have to remember that there's an eight month old baby. So, we're and and, you know, her parents and her uncle. It is super scary and sad. And I don't know if law enforcement has any leads because they appear to be pretty desperate when they've reached out to the public, but that doesn't mean that there aren't that there isn't anything going on behind the scenes if anything has taught us anything especially when it comes to true crime there's a lot that goes on that nobody even knows about yeah well the scary thing is is if he is the only person holding them you know that that means you know however long he's incapacitated for that means that they're helpless without him so probably no food water anything like that Oh I just, oh my God, Angie, I just pulled up an update. So this was 17 minutes ago, updated five minutes ago. They just found all four of the bodies. It was just released 17 minutes ago. That's awful. I need it yeah, I went to um, get the phone number for the sheriff's office. and This was just posted seventeen minutes ago. It was not there thirty minutes ago when i go when I was doing a search just before we started. I don't understand how people can be so evil. Nope, whole family, including a baby. Sorry, I needed a minute. Nope, you're good. Literally, this was not posted 30 minutes ago. So, yeah, they found all four of the family members deceased. Heartbreaking for that family was just released 17 minutes ago. But if you, if anyone who listens to this still has any information because I'm sure law enforcement. Is now putting together. A trying to figure out the why and all that I'm sure. Contact the Merced county sheriff's office. Their phone number is, no, it is 209-385-7445. Our hearts and prayers are with this family right now. Just absolutely heart-wrenching. All right then, we're just gonna move right on. Missing persons, because that's one of the reasons why we do what we do. We're exploring the coldest missing person cases in all of the US. We're doing it in alphabetical order. Currently we are on Connecticut. The missing child that we are going to put in our missing person spotlight today is Constance Christine Smith. She has been missing since July 16th, 1952. She would be 80 years old. She went missing from Salisbury, Connecticut. She's considered endangered and missing. Female, date of birth, July 11th, 1942, 10 years old. She was five feet tall at the time of her disappearance and 85 pounds. She was wearing a red long sleeve zipper windbreaker, a brown bandana halter top, navy blue shorts with plaid cuffs, tan leather shoes and a red hair ribbon. The clothes had name tags on them because she was at summer camp, possibly carrying a black zippered purse containing photos of her friends she is a white female light brown hair blue eyes although her given name is Constance she went by the name Connie and most law enforcement agencies also refer to her as Connie she was tall and well developed in 1952 and looked older than her age she may have grown taller in adulthood she's very nearsighted and is supposed to wear eyeglasses but hers were broken when she disappeared She would be unable to read without her glasses. She was very suntanned at the time of her disappearance and her eye teeth were just erupting. She has a slight scar under her right nostril. Um, She was living in Wyoming at the time of her disappearance and her grandfather was the governor of that state. She was spending part of the summer when she at Camp Sloan in Salisbury Connecticut when she disappeared she had an altercation with a group of female campers during the morning of July 16 1952 and she had gotten a bloody nose from the incident Connie told her tent mates that she was going to skip breakfast that morning and go to the camp dispensary where she planned to drop off an ice pack she had used the previous evening when she fell out of her tent and bruised her hip she left the ice pack in her tent and never went to the dispensary instead she walked away from camp and down Indian Mountain Road she was seen picking daisies along the roadside and asked several people how to get to Lakeville Connecticut about half a mile from Camp Sloan she was apparently homesick and with only a week left of her stay at Camp Sloan, she decided to just up and leave. She was probably also upset from her altercation with those girls. And if you end up with a bloody nose and violence, like, of course, she probably wanted to leave. She was last seen walking on U.S. Route 44 in Salisbury. Later in the afternoon, she was hitchhiking perhaps to lakeville she didn't have any money or extra clothes with her and she has not been seen since camp counselors discovered her missing in the late afternoon when they found the ice pack still inside her tent they looked everywhere everywhere with no clues there have been suspects in her disappearance over the years but no one has been charged in her case one theory is that she was attempting to run away from camp and go to one of her parents who were divorced but neither of them have seen or had seen or heard her after the disappearance. Her mother last saw her when she visited the camp 2 days before the disappearance and at the time Connie was in good spirits, good spirits and asked permission to stay at the camp longer but it didn't seem to bother her when her mother said she couldn't stay after camp was over. One of the possible suspects is William Henry Redmond, a farmer carnival worker who was charged with murdering an eight year old girl in 1951, one year prior to Connie's disappearance. In the 1980s, Redmond allegedly told another prison inmate he had killed four people during his lifetime. He was eventually sent back to his home state of Nebraska when he was determined too ill to stand trial for the 1951 murder. He did pass a polygraph concerning this case and he's still considered a possible suspect in the 1951 disappearance of Beverly Potts in Ohio. She was well-traveled and she got along well with adults as well as children. She loved animals, especially horses her grandfather and both of her parents are deceased, her father dying as recently as early 2012. Her case remains unsolved, and she is still considered missing. If you have any information regarding this case, you can contact the Connecticut State Police, 860-567-6875, or the Salisbury Police Department, 860 435 29 three eight imagine being one of the girls that <clears throat> had a fight with her and then, like all of a sudden she's like gone she's disappeared
1: i don't I know her.
0: i mean that would be horrible it'd be so awful and now i can't and now i can't stop thinking about the merced case like it's just my mind—I'm trying to stay focused. My mind is like racing back and forth. And now I'm thinking, well, would you prefer to never know, and always have the hope that she'll always come home, or to know that their life is cut short, like this family in Mur said? at i don't know. I was actually—was um, what was I doing? I remember, I was doing something the other day, and I was listening to this person. They were talking about how. Um, the a piece of advice that their dad gave them growing up that has always stuck with them and that they tell their kids and stuff and i'm i keep going back and forth between i'm like is that good advice or is that awful advice but basically what he said was you know if you ever get in a position to where you're kidnapped you know like someone um or someone jumps in your car um put on your seat belt Um, and if you can't put on your seatbelt, then you know, brace yourself and drive as fast as you can, like take them on a ride, like drive as fast as you can and hit something, you know, like a telephone pole or something like that, because um either they're gonna be ejected from the vehicle because they're not gonna have time to buckle up, but if they don't let you buckle up, then at least your family knows you know, even if you die, at least your family knows where you are and what happened as opposed to constantly be wondering and worrying about you for the rest of their lives. And I'm like, that's partially good advice. But at the same time, I don't know that I would be like, I want you to just go ahead. And if, even if they don't let you buckle your seatbelt, just go ahead and kill yourself. So at least that way I'll feel better and know where you are. I'm like, what? That is really good advice and really horrible advice right if you think about it like it's, it's very dead logical. than than to be raped and murdered and then killed yeah I, exactly. there's logic there's tough logic behind it but yeah there there is logic all right updates on the valo daybell case because there's always something and in this case it's never, ever, ever going to end. So, we're probably not going to have a January trial date. And the reason behind that is that Lori's lawyers just submitted another motion. And what? yes, weird. Yes, they submitted it. Well, Here's the thing, the closer we get to the actual trial, whenever it will be at this point, is that there's going to be more and more and more motions. And a lot of it has to oh, do yeah. with, you know, it, things are coming together. So there's going to be motions to exclude this and motions to add this and motions to bring this. So I think right by more time, here, even if it's yes, and even if it's postponed to the end of 2023, which it may not, because they've had plenty of time. There it, it's, we're going to have constant motions in filings. Yep. Especially so, now that they're trying to separate the trial. And- yep all that other stuff. Yep. And what we're looking at right now is next week on the the 13th. Next week on the 13th, there are multiple motions that are going to be heard. John Pryor has multiple motions. One of them is for Ch- for Chad to wear street clothes in court. I don't think there will be a problem with that one. <laughs> You know, I don't think anyone wants to see him in an orange jumpsuit. And if it's not televised, well, it doesn't really matter. No, it it does. It's. Does it though? I mean, who's going to be prejudiced against him sitting the in jury? the courtroom? jury. The jury. You need to make him mm-hmm. look presentable to give him the most equal chance, regardless of what we personally think or anybody else does. It's for a person to get an unprejudiced and fair trial. So I understand that motion. The second motion was to sever the cases, which we heard that before it was denied. And this time, John Pryor was like, well, I'm gonna bring up evidence against Lori. I'm gonna bring up some of her past bad behavior and decisions and If the trials are held together, it's against my client's constitutional right and he is not guaranteed a fair trial. And he wants it postponed to at least October of 2023 as well. So you've got the close motion, you've got the severance motion and you have the postponement of the trial motion. It's just geared up to fully throw her under the bus. Be like, there is a possibility Here's the other thing too, though, if because of her mental, um, incompetence up until this year, even though he may be guilty, the thing is, is that he deserves for this to end too, but especially for those family members, because think of all of the family that is suffering And this whole thing is being dragged out Mm -hmm. even longer. And the longer it's dragged out, the longer it will be for them to be able to bury their babies. Which is so absolutely horrendous that they, I mean, I understand why they haven't been released because technically they're evidence, but still that just still kills me. I can't believe that they have not been able to bury those babies. I know it's horrible and I don't think there's really anything that can be done unless the defense says, all right, we're done with all of our testing. But until they say that, or all of the, you know, the trials done or the appeals are exhausted, there's really, there's really nothing that can be done. I don't think. It really shows you the lack of humanity between the two of them. And, you know, by, by allowing, by allowing them to continue to hold them and, and forcing these tests and just not being honest about it, it's like, I don't don't understand how you could do that to your kids. I don't understand how anyone can murder another human being. And believe me, I have witnessed some of the most horrific things that a person can do to someone else and yet people still do especially fanatics Yeah, I am witness to what fanaticism does to people you know it makes them blow themselves up and kill as many people as they can and it is a horrible horrible sight it is all in the name of religion religion and fanaticism, which let's clarify something. It's not religion that causes it. It's fanaticism. Fanaticism, yep. Uh, another motion that John Pryor has filed in the last couple of days, he is requesting the grand jury transcript. He wants to know, oh, and a bill of particulars. So the motion the grand jury proceedings they're top secret. Nobody knows what goes on behind those doors. Nobody knows who's involved the super secret. Uh, citizens, it's extremely secret. It there and there's reasons behind that. It's to keep them safe, but it's supposed to be anonymous. And so the the grand the grand jury no one's, you know, no one's supposed to know who they are. And John Pryor has kind of picked at it and picked at it. He's like, I want to know what really happened. I want to know exactly what evidence was used to determine these charges. I want to know what was said. I want to know the evidence that was brought up, the people who witnessed, who uh, were witnesses. I want to know everything because I want to have the whole picture. So again, he wants those transcripts from the grand jury. So those are, let's see. So he's got the grand jury, the close, the severance, and the postponement. And then Lori's lawyers yesterday, they requested, and a huge portion of it is completely black but but that is important because there has been questions about all of the sealed documents and sealed motions and that they haven't been legally sealed but why are they why are they being sealed instead of redacted so this document is redacted there is one whole paragraph that's completely black it's just a big black box what lori's lawyers are requesting is they're requesting for every for a continuance they're requesting that the trial be postponed and they're requesting that all the um a toll on time limits So motion to continue trial to toll time limits and to stay case. Come now the attorneys for the defendant and move the court to continue the trial, toll the time limitations in the order setting for, setting the case for the trial and blank as follows. Trial is currently set to begin on January 9th. A final pre-trial conference is sent for November 9th. The time limit to file written notice of our intention To raise any issue of mental condition under Idaho code, title 18 is 90 days before trial or October 11th. That could be be a hint of why they're requesting this, but the next paragraph is completely blacked out. Paragraph three, because of blank, 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 the defense asks for a toll on the time limit. In which to comply with pretrial orders, a continuance of the pretrial date, and a continuance of the trial date. <laughs> so we can only assume that there's some concerns regarding Lori's mental health and competency. And there was another document from the Department of Health and Welfare this has nothing to do with lori's mental health it appears to be directed at the request from lori helles which her motion will be heard on the 14th and on that motion she wants all of those Um, documents to be unsealed or sealed correctly. And what's unsealed, she doesn't care if it's redacted, but the public has the right to see those documents and be a, a part of this trial because we're pretty much the ones that will determine if things are going correctly or not. We're the oversight. So that's what that document was. It has nothing to do with um, Lori's mental health. All right, we're gonna try to get through the rest of this as soon as we can. We started, la- where we ended last episode with Charles Vallo, Lori's fourth husband and her brother Adam planning an intervention There's a lot of text messages and emails and stuff like that. I'm not really gonna bring that into this because all of that will come out during trial. A lot of the recorded statements from the indictment have already uh, reflected on that. And I think it's just not relevant right now. So the beginning of July, Um, Lori had left. Charles, again, had completely moved out. Charles is really concerned about Lori's mental health and the kid's safety. He's out of town, and he and Adam plan an intervention with the whole family. According to court documents, records of emails and text messages, that were released to the public and have been referenced by law enforcement. It appears that she was aware of this intervention and she talked to Alex about it. You have to remember not all of the communication between her and Chad and Alex is actually recorded. They had lots of burner phones, fake email accounts. So there could still be stuff out there. And there's stuff that hasn't yet been Didn't released. Didn't her mom give her a heads up about the... She did. Yep. That's how she found out. Yep. And um, it may have been other family members. Good job, mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her. I saw her mom in the documentary and in that interview that she did. Big fan. So, so what based off of what we know uh lori tells melanie not to come over and hang out to stay away and to stay away from the intervention um she also gives an excuse to her friend melanie gibb who wanted to come over some excuse no don't come over And then, then so that was on the 9th. And the next day, Charles flies into town. He's going to go pick up JJ. Alex spent the night at Lori's the night before, which was odd. And even their family members have said that that is extremely unusual. Charles goes to this house that Lori's only been in for three weeks. He knocks on the door, he goes inside. At Let's see, the shooting occurred around 8.30 a.m. Alex, it took him about 45 minutes to call 911. While he was on the phone with them, he said that he had shot Charles twice because he was attacking his his sister. And the dispatcher talked him through CPR and compressions. When law enforcement finally got there they alex was sitting outside on the pavement and lori shows up in her car piecing together all of the footage the phone calls the body cams oh, that body Again, cam footage is so weird to watch it is weird so law and law enforcement show up Alex is sitting outside Lori shows up with Tylee and in that footage Tylee's face is blurred out because she's still considered a minor and after piecing everything together was that Charles walked in supposedly there was an altercation uh Tylee came out to defend Lori and had a bat Charles took the bat and hit Alex, then went after Lori and that is when Alex shot him. According to the autopsies, Alex shot him once in the chest. He fell down and Alex shot him the second time while he was already on his back on the floor. (laughs) Nothing screams self-defense like being shot in the back. He wasn't shot in the back he was shot when he was on the floor though. Oh yeah. I see what you're, what you're meaning. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. You get shot and then you get shot when you're pretty much incapacitated. That makes sense. After Charles was shot, Lori takes the kids, takes them to Burger King so that JJ could get, I think it was chicken sticks or chicken wings or something of that sort. Of that sort, dropped him off at school and came back. When law enforcement starts talking to her, she's giggling. She doesn't seem upset at all that her husband's been shot. Yes, he's estranged, but he's dead, and Tylee seems kind of emotionless. There is a lot of the. When they were questioned down at the police station, a lot of that footage has also been released. Some of the notes here was that um, based on all of the digital evidence, such as texts and emails between Alex and Lori and even Chad to a point, It was premeditated and planned. They were planning on ambushing him. It wasn't just an accident. The other thing too that's been brought up multiple times is that Charles was a baseball player. I can't remember if he was like in the minor leagues or the semi-pros, but he was a baseball player. And if he had intended to hit Alex and harm him with a baseball bat... I highly doubt that it would be that teeny little nick that he had, but nobody knows. Right? He would have smashed this head like a melon. I know, it's crazy. Not to mention, what kind of psychopath kills their kids' dads with them in the house, or their kids' dad with them in the house? I have, like, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. This whole case just—it makes no sense. There is no sense behind it. There's no sense behind the perversion of the Mormon church that Lori and Chad were doing. There's no sense. It makes, there's not even a clear motive. Like what caused it? You know, was it fanaticism? Was it because they loved each other and they didn't want to have anything attached to them? Was it delusions? Was it hallucinations? Was it, I I don't know. I There's no way of making any sense out of it. And maybe during the trial, we'll find out more, whenever that will be. The answer is just yes. (laughs) All (laughs) of of the above. Just yes. (laughs) So some of the things that need to be noted, Alex was spending the night at the house, even though he lived 23 miles away. Colby claimed that his mom called him the day that Charles died and said that he died of a heart attack. And that was featured in the documentary, Sins of Our Mother. But when he made it to the house later that day, that's when he discovered that Charles had actually been shot. Um, we went over, let's see. And last but not least, and this is something else, So they had a pool party that afternoon as if nothing happened. Yeah. And when Lori got back, wouldn't you, wouldn't it like creep you out? Wouldn't you be weirded out if there was like a dead body in your house? Right. Even if you didn't even know the person, like, wouldn't it, 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 to me, it would, it would weird me out at one of the places where I work. One of the clients died from a heart attack. I didn't want to go inside. I didn't want to see the dead body, you know, so why would you want to go in a place where you murdered your estranged husband or planned his murder? And, and there's no emotion. There's nothing on either of their faces. There's hardly any emotion as you can see from the, from the body cam footage. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like the police officer that took him to the station, you know, weirdest ride with three strangers he's ever had, you know, he's just like, you'd have no idea that somebody just died. They're just smiling and nonchalant and happy and giggling and like, what? Right. The other thing too, is that nobody, no, nobody has said that Charles was abusive that he got violent when he was nobody has said anything like that nope. the only the only real evidence is whatever the forensic evidence was as well as all that footage and there's only out of out of the five people there that were there during that incident the only one left alive is Lori. Everybody else is gone. Charles was murdered. Both of the kids have been murdered. And, and Alex, is Alex gone. died in November. Which there are rumors going on all over the internet because John Pryor in his motion mentioned something about Alex's death and it has sketched people out. So... I don't know what bomb he's going to drop or if any, or if it was just him trying to create uh, a spotlight on this case because that is his strategy. He wants as many eyes on this as possible. And I think he's going to use public opinion of what's going on and what's been witnessed so far to... Well, he's probably just trying to widen the gap between Lori and Chad too. I mean, he was—if he's that trying to separate the cases, then you know, make her look like, make her look super crazy, and that everything was her. Exactly makes sense. And if you guys want to see all of the text messages and excerpts from the emails, like blow by blow, just go over to analytics. And you can also find a lot of it online. It is public record. You just have to sift through it. And Annie Cushing has it all lined out for you really well. Really well. Like anything you could ever possibly want to know. Everything that you want. But they're looking through all of the text messages and all of that. It It's definitely, it was I think it was pre-planned. There I go. We, we said we weren't going to uh, give our personal opinion, but I'm. it looks like it was pre-planned just base, based off of texts. I'm sure law enforcement has other stuff that they are keeping close to the chest. I think we're going to end it right there because this episode is getting too long. A big part of it was just because of the kidnapping in Merced and take up a lot of time. And again, our thoughts and prayers go out to that family. So family. next episode, I know, oh, my heart, my heart hurts. Next episode, because... A, this episode is getting too long and B, I'm sorry, I can't focus after um, that release of information on that family. So we're just going to wrap it up. Next week's episode, we will talk about how Charles's family found out about him dying, what Lori's reaction was to everybody all of the different stories she gave everyone and how she ended up in Rexburg, that will drop on Friday. And then next week, you're with me all of next week, right? Yes, ma'am. All right, so Angie will be with me all of next week and then she'll be gone, so it will just be me. Um, Check out our dailies tomorrow. Tomorrow For any further? Yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah, our dailies. I <laughs> skipped a lot of. I did. I I skipped a lot of our daily stuff today because it was important for me yesterday and today to uh, talk about that kidnapped family, and it took up a lot of um, time on all the last three episodes of this podcast. So because it's close to my heart. And maybe one day I will, we'll talk about why it's close to my heart, but that's for another day. All right. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, follow, follow, and it just helps us keep what we're doing in our In our description of our podcast, you can find the link to our website as well as buy us a coffee and our link tree. We look forward to hearing from you. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or we fubbed something up, then let us know. See you on Friday. Bye.